0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's been a while. Sisters and brothers, I'm glad to be sharing God's word with you today and welcome you into our worship. Let's, uh, well, they've gone, but let's say thanks to Rob and the team. What a wonderful job this morning. Yes. I tell you, it makes it so easy to, to come up and share ministry. Uh, after great times of worship. So thank you so much to the team for sharing this morning. Now, I not only greet those of you who are here in the sanctuary, but also those who are watching the live stream this morning. Now, I did tell Pastor Pete that I know of at least one couple uh, in New Zealand who are going to be watching the live stream. And so... I, he said, "We'll give them a shout-out. So, okay, to Murray and Karen Cottle. Thanks for tuning in. Murray was my associate in, at the Napier Baptist Church when I was a pastor there in New Zealand. Murray and Karen together, wonderful team, and we worked together and um, uh, have kept the friendship over the years. So they're watching in New Zealand. Now, New Zealand is 21 hours ahead of here. So all you do is add 24 and then take away three. So it's, what, quarter to eight Monday morning in New Zealand. And so they're watching. And to any other Kiwis that are watching, a welcome to you. Welcome! <laughs> there you go. A welcome from the Maple, Ma- Maple Valley Church uh, in Seattle area, USA. Okay, so um, today we're continuing in our series, um, Knowing God and Pastor asked me what I felt I would like to preach on, and I knew I wanted to preach about the cross, because I think the cross is so important and so essential. And so, uh, is to begin, we're going to read together the Scriptures, and uh, it's from Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, and um, verse 15 uh, to 21. And um, you can remain seated uh, for this. I will will read that passage for us. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does not that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now it's actually verses 19 to 21 that I'm going to focus on this morning. So we thank the Lord for his holy word in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now I want to begin this morning by sharing with you, telling you a little bit about two people. One I think you will know very well, the other you probably don't. But the first one uh, was my mentor when I began ministry, when I was back in theological college, or as they call it in New Zealand, uh, seminary here. That was back in the 1960s. Uh, <clears throat> this man was a, uh, a rector of a Church of England church in central London, All Souls Church. Uh, his name is John Stott. Uh, he died a few years ago, 2011, I believe. He was 90 when he died. But this was a, he was a model of ministry. He was a model of preaching. He was a, a great and godly man. And uh, he was. I followed him throughout his life uh, and his ministry. He, this church was a large one of the larger churches in London in, in congregation attendance. Um, he left that after about twenty-five years and became a minister to the Christian Church and, and the world. He conducted many missions in universities, and uh, he he was a, a great, as I say, a great. And Godly man, now I want to refer to something in his youth, and it set the tone uh, and direction for his life and for his ministry. Uh, his, he, he was brought up uh, in, a, in a good family, they attended church it uh, didn 't seem to be a focal point in their life, and like many families um, well to do families, I suppose you would say. They sent their son to a public school. Now, the British have this rather strange uh, way of doing things. You see, a public school in Great Britain is actually a private school. And the, uh, the, uh, I don't know why they call it public school. It's state school. Uh, it would be the uh, public school. But at any rate... That's what it is. uh, It was a public school he went to, a private school, an elite school, like a prep school for students wanting to go to Cambridge or Oxford University. So he he was at this school, and it was in the town of Rugby uh, in England, which is just a little bit north of London. And uh, they had religious services at the school, reading of Scripture, uh, devotional thought and that kind of thing. And he would attend these. They meant nothing to him, really. But he, got, he was, became friends with a fellow who was an eager sportsman, uh, very good at sports. And uh, he, he was a sort of muscular Christianity. He was a very active Christian. And in the high school, they had this group that met, those who were serious about following Jesus Christ. And he asked John if he would like to come to a meeting, and he did. And he was really impressed at the young people, the young fellows. It was an all-boys school. They were very serious about their faith. They interacted, they shared. And they had a speaker this day, and he wasn't a very impressive man in his appearance, but when he shared, he was absolutely riveting. And he spoke about the gospel, basically, and about the cross, and about the need of salvation. And John was absolutely riveted by it. He was 17 years old. Um, He talked to the man afterwards, asked questions and so on. And he was really troubled and unsettled by what he had heard. And the fellow said at the end of his address, he said, quoting the words of Pilate, Pontius Pilate, to the crowd and to the religious leaders after he had examined Christ, found him innocent, but he said, What do you want me to do with Jesus, who is the Christ? And the speaker that day said, What will you do about Jesus, who is the Christ, the Savior? And those words by the Holy Spirit penetrated John's life. That evening, he got by his bedside, he knelt by his bedside, and prayed, and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life as Lord and Savior. And that was the turning point of his life, the beginning of his ministry. Now, he had a, a favorite verse, 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, and that verse is, For I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was the regulating force of his life. That was the, the modulating factor in his life, the cross of Jesus Christ. It had changed his life as a youth, and he, he lifted that up in his lifetime in a, in a, in a wonderful way. Now, the other one doesn't, it would be known to you, the other person, Billy Graham, if you 're old enough, you, you know all about billy graham it 's kind of sad to me to think of a generation growing up who don 't get excited when they hear the name Billy Graham, Christian young people, but he was a great evangelist, of course, one of the greatest evangelists in the history of Christendom, and um, he died recently, I think he was ninety nine wasn 't he This missed out on his one hundredth but he was very frail, and uh, he was very deaf and blind and bedridden, actually, toward the end. But anyway, any rate, we, in 2010, we had Billy Graham's brother-in-law come to our church. He preached from this platform. His name is Leighton Ford. He's married to Billy Graham's younger sister, Jean. And uh, we, connections, we were able to bring him here to speak. And uh, so I read something that Leighton said about Billy Graham. Um, he one time they were there with the family. This is a, you know in the last few years of his life, they were there with the family visiting him, and he told them very very feeble voice by this time, he told them, "I would like to preach one final sermon." And, of course, Layton said he, it wouldn't, wouldn't be possible. He said he wanted to preach in Panther Stadium, you know, the, the football team, Carolina Panthers. He wanted to preach in their stadium. And, of course, it was not to be. But Layton said, I asked him, what would you like, what text would, do you want to preach on? And he just pointed from his bed to a plaque on the wall above the chair he often would sit in or had sat in. And it was Galatians 6 and 14. And uh, let me see, I have it here. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That was his... And both these men that text for John Stott and this for Billy Graham, are on their grave markers. They put on their grave markers. Because they lived their life under the cross, and they proclaimed the cross. It just got a hold of them. They could think of nothing else but preaching the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is that both these verses from Corinthians and from Galatians were written by the apostle Paul. Both verses. And of course, right there in the very early church, Paul was proclaiming the cross. It was the fact the number one thing in his life. And of course, if you're familiar with the life of Paul, you know that he was converted by the risen Christ confronting him. Um, on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute Christians. Insurrectionists, they were uh, messing up Judaism. But he was confronted by the risen Christ and his life was turned around. And he preached the cross. Well, why has the cross become central in our lives? You know, crucifixion was the Roman way of executing people, a horrible death, and the Romans loved it. They said one time on the Appian Way, which comes from the east into Rome, for several miles, all you could see were crosses on both sides of the road. They were put there by Romans. There were maybe rebels, criminals, insurrectionists, whatever, Crucifixion was very common and very cruel. But you know, for Jews, being hung on a wood, a tree of course, a cross was wood and a tree was shameful. And uh, Deuteronomy 21:23 speaks to that, and it talks about uh, it's a curse. For Jewish people to be hung on a cross, a curse. So, why has it become a symbol of the Christian church? We've got one right behind me here. Why has the cross become the symbol of the Christian church? You think about it, they could have, here it is, this horrible, horrible death. Why is it the symbol, the central thing in the Christian gospel? Think, they they could have had a manger as a symbol. Jesus was born in a manger. They could have had a carpenter's bench, which would highlight his uh, work life. Um, They could have had a stone uh, rolled away from the tomb. They, They could have had a scroll highlighting his teaching ministry. There are many other things. But somehow the cross has become... So central, so central. And it is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. It is a jewelry item. Now, I asked at the first, well, I mentioned this in the first service. I said, I'm sure there are two or three women at least here this morning who have on a cross as a necklace or a bracelet. Two came to me after the service and told me they were wearing a cross. It's become an item of jewelry. It's on every church. Graves. Often there's a cross there. Why is this? Well, it's central. It's important. The gospel is based on it. Now, I have found over the years that when you preach on the cross, there seems to be a holy hush that comes over the congregation. There's something holy about the cross. Jesus on the cross. Something that quietens our spirit. Something that touches us. The cross that our Lord died on. Kind of a holy hush comes over the congregation. And I've quoted, I know before, the words of Gardner Taylor, who who for his whole lifetime was a minister of um, Concord. Baptist Church of Christ in Brooklyn. Here's what he said, a black preacher. Here's what he said about the cross. There is great power in his death, yes. We are strangely moved when we stand at Calvary, yes. We stand, we stand in awe of the cross, and we see and hear the sun stops shining while his friends around him crying. We are moved when we hear the Savior groaning and his friends sadly moaning. Hear the hammer ringing, watch death stinging. Yes, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. It was a saving substituting, sufficing death. So here we are this morning. I want to highlight the cross. Knowing God, God dies. Now how can the cross become real and personal to us today? How can the cross become real and personal to us? Well, I think it can when we remember that the cross becomes real to us when we remember God and Jesus Christ was crucified for me. For me. For me. For me. God and Jesus Christ was crucified for me. And if you look in verse 20, the second uh, part of the verse, it says there, "...who loved me. I live by faith in the Son of God." Who loved me. This is an amazing, awesome statement that God in Jesus Christ loves us, loves me. Now, I know these words are overworked, amazing and awesome, but I think they're appropriate here. God in Jesus Christ was crucified for me. Now, Paul said those words. For me, says Paul, the persecutor, the murderer of Christians whose life was changed. God loved him, he said, for me, and his life changed. It applies to us as well, and here we have the past tense. It says, he loved us, who loved me. And it is referring to the cross, referring referring back to the cross, who loved me. That act, God and Jesus Christ was crucified for me, loved me. Of course, God in Jesus Christ still loves us. Think of the Apostle John and the Revelation. He said um, uh, to him who loves us, in the present tense, loosed us from our sins and has lifted us to be a kingdom of priests unto our God. Yes, God loved us and he loves us. But he was crucified for me, who loved me. No, 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 it's true, isn't it? Everyone wants to be loved. We all want to be loved. It's a, it's a basic need, a basic desire, basic in our hearts. We all want to be loved, whether it's um, by a spouse or a sweetheart or a parent or a child or a grandparent or a sibling, and even a pet. Isn't it wonderful to be loved? Loved too by a pet. Pets are wonderful, they can be. They can be a nightmare too at times, but <laughs> <laughs> they look up at you and with their limpid eyes and um and say they're saying, I love you. Pets can show great love. And the one thing about them is they don't seem to get upset when we are total jerks, like everybody else might. <laughs> yeah, so. God's love is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. He reached out to individuals. Now, he just didn't go for the big crowds. He had those too, of course, in his teaching. But he loved the individuals, and he reached, touched them. He could single out people in crowds and minister to them. And he taught about the importance in the heart of God um, for the individual, Luke 15, the parables there of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, tells us that God in Jesus Christ loves us, loves each one of us. So you are loved by God in Jesus Christ. He loved me. That's for you. We all need to be loved. Now secondly, I want to say the cross becomes personal and real to us when we remember that God in Jesus Christ was crucified by me. And that's very important to remember. See, he says here in verse 20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me. That is the cross. That is the death of Jesus Christ, God and Jesus Christ on the cross. But he gave himself for me. I put him on the cross. He was crucified by me. Now, the New Testament clearly teaches what we call the corporate responsibility for the death of Jesus. It wasn't just Pilate or or Judas or Herod or the soldiers. They weren't the only ones responsible for the death of Jesus. Uh, In Acts 2, I think, 23, Peter was preaching to the crowd that gathered at Pentecost. And he said to them in the course of his message, you crucified Jesus Christ. You crucified him. You put him on the cross. Of course, they didn't actually. But you see, he died for sin on that cross. And sinners put Jesus Christ on the cross. And I venture to say that we put Jesus Christ on the cross. He was crucified for your sins. He was crucified for my sins. Now, why was his death special? You see, thousands of people were crucified by the Romans, but why do we remember only one? Well, we might remember three, but they are remembered, the one on each side of him, because they were on each side of him when he died and and conversed with them. Uh, But Jesus is the central one. Why is his death so special? Well it is because he was special. He was truly God and truly man. Pastor Pete shared about that last weekend, the incarnation. You know God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. I think that was Charles Wesley's word. God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. But Jesus very clearly taught that he was God as well. Now um, you know, if you don't believe in this, truly God, truly a man, you, 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 um, you might lose your salvation. But if you try and understand it, you can lose your mind, pretty much. <laughs> pretty hard to understand, like the Trinity. Same thing, you know, it's hard to understand, but it is important. So the death of Jesus was special because he was special. That made his death special. He was dying for sin, it was sin put Jesus on the cross. He, he was special, therefore his death was special. And we remember his crucifixion especially, only. You see, he fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Jewish sacrificial system, the substituting of animals, of lambs, for sin they were put to death and it was a substitute, an inadequate one. But God had this great plan when the, the true Lamb would come, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, who completed the law, who fulfilled it, he would die for all sins for all times. So, you know, we put Jesus on the cross. He, there are a number of meanings or, uh, to understand the cross, but I, the one that evangelicals believe in and hold to so dearly is substitution. That is the most important one. He died for my sins. I put him on the cross. You remember the old hymn? Um, if you're young, you won't, but I need to write these down now so I get them correct. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, if you're a little bit older, you've probably sung that many times. But I want to share something with you about sin. Um, And uh, it's from the writer John Ortberg. And uh, he talks about how sin is so prevalent, and we all have it. We're all sinners. Now I'm going to read something. I don't. That's probably not a particularly good idea in in preaching a sermon. But I'm going to read something, a little bit longer. So you're going to track with me. You're still with me. You're with me now. That's good. Okay. Out there. Hope you're tracking too. So here it is. Stay with me. This is uh, Ortberg talking about his family. Many years ago, early on in our marriage, my wife and I sold our Volkswagen Beetle to buy our first really nice piece of furniture. It was a sofa. It was pink a pink sofa. But for that kind of money, it was called a mauve sofa. The man at the sofa store sold it to us, and he told us how to take care of it, and we took it home. We had very small children in those days. And does anybody want to guess what was the number one rule in our house from that day on? Don't sit on the sofa. Don't play on the mob sofa. Don't eat around the mob sofa. Don't touch the mob sofa. Don't breathe on the mob sofa. Don't think about the mob sofa. On every other chair in the house you may freely sit, but on this sofa, the mob sofa, you may not sit, for on the day you sit thereon, you will surely die. (laughs) And then one day came the fall. There appeared on the mob sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain, My wife called the man at the sofa factory and he told her how bad that was. So she assembled our three children to look at the stain on the sofa. Laura, who then was about four, and Mallory, who was about two and a half, and Johnny, who was maybe six. Now this is not an example of child rearing, so remember that. She said, children, do you see that? That's a stain, that's a red stain, that's a red jelly stain and the man at the sofa store says it's not coming out, not for all eternity. Do you know how long eternity is, children? Eternity is as long as we're all going to sit here until one of you tells me which one of you put the red jelly stain on the mob's sofa. For a long time they all just sat there until finally Mallory cracked. I knew she would. She said, Laura did it. <laughs> Laura said, no, I didn't. Then it was dead silence for the longest time, and I knew that none of them would confess putting the stain on the sofa because they had never seen their mum that mad in their lives. They knew, I knew none of them was going to confess putting the stain on the sofa because they knew if they did, they would spend all eternity in the time-out chair. I knew none of them would confess putting the stain on the sofa because, in fact, I was the one who put the stain on the sofa. And I wasn't saying nothing. Not a word. Well, now here's the truth, according to the writers of Scripture. About everybody who's ever lived, you've all stained the sofa. Yeah. We've all got that stain, We've all stained the sofa. We've all stained our characters. We've all stained this world God made and that God loves. We've got that stain problem. Lie, I deceive people. I turn away from people who are in need. I look the other way. I promote my own agenda. I pass judgment on people I don't like. I use, I clutch, I ignore, I wound, I gossip, I take. We've all got the stain, haven't we? And the joy is that Jesus was put on the cross by me and my stains were on him. Now that's what we must do at some point in our lives, you know. We all must, symbolically speaking, stand before that cross and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I put my sins on you. I am a sinner. I... own them, I embrace them as my own, but I, I, I go back to that cross and I stand before it and put my sins there. I confess my sins. I accept your substituting death for me. That's going to be my salvation. And he clothes us in his righteousness so we become his children. We all must do that. We almost do that. Jesus Christ was crucified by me. Now I, I, think of a church um, in the Met, London Metroplex. It's actually in Guildford, an area which I presume was a village at one time, but the spread of the, um, the city has absorbed it. Uh, Guildford. They have a new cathedral, and uh, they have a new cathedral, and it's probably the newest cathedral in the world. And at that cathedral, there is a cross. There is a wooden cross. And a friend of mine was at that church one time. And he went and looked at the cross. uh, And uh, it's a big wooden one. He looked at it. And then he looked more closely and he saw that people had cut their names or initials into the cross. They'd carved their names. And initially he was overcome with anger. And he, he was thinking about that, he, the foolishness of this spurious seeking immortality by putting your initials or your name on the cross. And, and then it became a moment of revelation the Holy Spirit seemed to say to him, when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, your initials are on the cross. Your name is on the cross. And that's a great truth, isn't it? That when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then our name is carved on the cross. Our initials are on the cross. I put him there but he loved me enough to die for me and give me new life. So think about that, if you will. And lastly, and thirdly, a change of statement here. I am crucified with Christ. That's what the scriptures says here. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He gave his life for me, and he was crucified by me, and now he lives in me. I, uh, the life I now live, I am crucified with Christ, and I don't long, no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So we are crucified by Christ. In fact, Jesus, I think it's recorded in all the Gospels, Jesus said that uh, we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. So you have to do business with the cross to begin the Christian life, but you have to do business with the cross to live the Christian life. So it's kind of discipleship or sanctification or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the cross should regulate our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And when we do, it's like saying this. Oh God, I want to die to what is wrong in my life. I want to die to what is selfish in my life. I want to be crucified with Christ, and I want to live with him. And I want to go his way from today on. That's what it means to have Jesus Christ live in us. Some some people think it's all very sort of heavy, it's hard to grasp that Jesus Christ lives in it. Well, you understand it this way. The old way is nailed to the cross. We're positionally dead. Christ lives in us now and regulates and and governs our priorities and the life that we want to live. Think of a person who might be an alcoholic, for example. What lives in them? Well, alcohol, you know, that's the driving force of their lives. Think of others who have a different addiction. What, what lives in them? Well, submission to that addiction. That's, uh, think of someone who's consumed with ambition and, and striving for a success which seems to be constant, constantly eluding them. You see, ambition or fame drives them. But for the person who's following Jesus Christ... Christ lives in that person, and Christ regulates them on a daily basis as they take up their cross and follow Him. It's wonderful truth. Wonderful truth. I know the Christian life is not an easy life, and being crucified with Christ is not easy. Sometimes it's taking three steps forward, two steps back. But we keep going, following Jesus. So there we go. God dies, knowing God. Crucified, he crucified for me. I put him there. I am now crucified with him. I want to close with this story, which I probably have told before. When Billy Joe and I came in the beginning to the Pacific Northwest, we were in Mount Vernon. I pastored a church there for six years. And when we arrived in 1984 in August, they had the salmon barbecue in September, and it was sort of a kickoff thing. It catered more for adults and children, but uh, it was something that people in the community came to as well. And they always had some entertainment. And this time they had a gospel quartet called the Glory Road Quartet. And they came from upriver, the Skagit River. Now, you probably don't know that up the Skagit River there is a community of North Carolinians, Appalachian people from the mountains of North Carolina. And they came many years ago to work in the timber industry. And there's quite a um, back and forth from the area in the Appalachians and upriver. It's a very interesting area. We had the uh, sheriff, uh, retired sheriff of Skagit County was in the congregation. He told me he never sent deputies up there by themselves. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. But anyway, any rate, they sang. They were wonderful. I spoke briefly. And afterwards, one of the members of the quartet, I think the leaders, came to me and said, Pastor, would you come and speak to us? Come and speak to us at our Baptist church upriver. So Billy Joe and I, three weeks later, we, we went upriver. And um, it was on Sunday night. The church was full. And uh, I preached on the cross. Preached on the cross. And in Baptist ways, you know, I invited people to come forward at the end. They wanted me to do that. Two or three adults came forward. And then I realized a little girl was coming up the center aisle. You know, things get pressed into the tissues of your brain. I can see it right now. A little girl, she'd be about nine or ten, I suspect. She was wearing a dress. I don't know, you don't see girls wearing dresses that much, do you, these days? Anyway, little girls, little girls. Anyway, she was coming up, and tears were streaming down her face. Streaming down her face. Uh, The pastor went and put his arm around her and walked up to the front with her, and Tears were streaming down his face. Then they were streaming down my face. It was a very moving thing. And he then spoke to the congregation. And he was a man, up in years, white hair. Um, He was untutored, you know, he was a simple man, but he loved the Lord and he loved the word, loved the gospel. And he had his arm around her and he said, Little Mary here, he said, she is young, I'm at the end of the journey, toward the end. But she's at the beginning, and she's got a life now of following and loving Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So we just go right back to the beginning. And I ask you that question that was asked of John Stott. What will you do with Jesus, who is the Christ? What will you do? A great and an important question. Now, if this was a regular time, no COVID protocols and all that, I might invite you to come forward with, to the prayer partners or kneel at the front here and we could pray with you. But we can't do that right now. But we do have connection cards. And uh, for those of you who are here today in the sanctuary, you probably had them in your bulletins. Um, If you want to explore this more, if you want to indicate that you've trusted in Jesus, prayed a simple prayer toward him, you can fill out the card and let us know and hand it in at the next uh, center as you leave uh, this morning. Or if you're online watching on Facebook, I believe in the top corner, um, I hope I've got this right, you can click on the connection card. Um, or you can go to our church website, maplevalleychurch.org, and you'll find this connection card there, and you can um, digitally do it and send it to us. But we want to know about it, and uh, we love the cross here. We lift high the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. Yes, Jesus loves you. God in Jesus Christ was crucified for you, by you. And if you are his child, you are walking with him now. Now, the team will ask them to come forward. And uh, I'll pray as they come. Lord, we lift up everyone here today in the sanctuary and others who are watching online. Holy Spirit of God, do your work in lives. May there be responses to your love. People praying a simple prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I trust you as my Savior. I confess my sins. I want you to live in me, and I want to live for you. I'm tired of my own old life. Do your work in people's lives now, we pray, Lord Jesus. We exalt you, and we bless your holy name. Amen.